0: Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Great to see you here in the room, and great to have those of you who are joining us online with us in worship as well. I uh, love baptisms. I loved uh, hearing the testimonies of these three young people in this service. We had three others in the other two services, and uh, Chelsea's story there, it was Chelsea Christian and Andrew were baptized just a few moments ago, Chelsea's story of her older sister sharing Jesus with her. How precious is that? And uh, just a wonderful thing to witness that to be able to celebrate baptisms together. We are in week two of a new teaching series uh, called Forward, Living and Loving Like Jesus in a Post-COVID World. Last week we talked about abiding in Christ, what it means to be connected to Jesus and growing in him and uh, this week we're going to go in a different direction to understand how we relate to his family, how we relate to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our world has gone through a lot in the last year. If you just look at 2020, the year of the pandemic, a lot of changes happen. And we live in a world that even during the lockdowns, there was a lot of opportunity for us to communicate with each other. We live in a digital world, a very connected world. Uh, The app Hootsuite put together uh, some research and statistics they had gathered about our connectedness in the world today. And I I love some of what they share. First of all, we start out with there are 78 billion people in our world. And out of those 7.8 billion people, over 5 billion, 66, almost 67 percent of the world's population has a cell phone. That's how many unique cell phone owners there are. And that's, that's pretty significant when you think of the third world and, and the developing world and all of the parts of, of our globe. And then in terms of internet users, There are 4.6 billion people out of that 7.8 billion who have internet access. Now, some of them, it's on their mobile phone, but they have that kind of access. That's 60% of the world has access to the internet. And then when you think of social media, where a lot of communication takes place today, in terms of social media, in 2020, there were 4.2 billion people on social media. Over half the world is on social media And they went on to describe some other things about our connected world, these statistics. First of all, the uh, social media platforms gained 490 million users this past year in 2020. That's half a billion users. Social platforms gained 1.3 million new users every day. That's 15.5 new users every second in 2020. 90% of people in the world with internet access have at least one social media account. That's incredible. And then worldwide, the average user spends two hours and 25 minutes on social media every day, seven hours total spent on the internet every day across all devices. We're a very connected world. We can communicate with people all across the globe. We can tell people we had for lunch. We can tell people all kinds of things. They can comment on it, tell us if they like that food too from anywhere in the world. And yet, in this connected world, in our modern digital age, we continue to be lonely people. Before the coronavirus pandemic, parts of the world declared a pandemic of loneliness. The United Kingdom established a cabinet-level leader to deal with the problem of loneliness amongst the British people. And for the first time prior to COVID, for the first time since polls were taken in the mid-1930s, the older generation... Of Americans alive were not considered, did not consider themselves the loneliest. Actually, Gen Z and the millennials now poll as lonelier people with all the connectedness. So, so think about that in terms of our lonely world and even those particular generations. The University of Miami did a survey of 18 to 35-year-olds, those they called young adults. Uh, and this is, these are statistics about how these young adults felt in the year 2020 during the time of lockdown and the pandemic. 65% reported increased feelings of loneliness since the declaration of COVID-19 as a pandemic. Wow, they were already high, and now they're saying it's increased feelings of loneliness. 78% reported significant depressive systems during, s- symptoms during the pandemic, and 58% reported a loss of feeling connectedness during the pandemic. Isn't it interesting that we are as connected as we've ever been, and we have become Lonelier than perhaps we've ever been in world history. What's going on there? What's at play? God created us for community. He created us to have community with him, that vertical relationship. We were created to have community with others, our spouses, our families, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, to to be in community with others. And when sin entered into the human race, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, their relationship with God was fractured. They hid from God. And the relationship with each other at the horizontal level was fractured and broken. They covered themselves, hid from each other. And since the time of Adam and Eve, we have struggled to have meaningful relationships, true community, true connection and relationship with one another. In in Christ, there is an opportunity for us through the finished work of Jesus Christ, of course, to have a restored relationship with the God who made us. But there's also an opportunity for us to have authentic, genuine, real relationships, as God intended, with others, especially those who know that same forgiveness, that same restoration that comes with God through Christ, especially our brothers and sisters in the Lord. There's a problem. We are settling for connectedness when God wired us for community, and Satan loves it, when we settle for something less than what God designed us for or God desires of us. So he loves it that we are more connected than ever because he can create an even greater isolation and loneliness in the hearts of people. But we who know Jesus need to be more than connected with each other. And I want to address that today as we talk about how we live in a post-COVID world. I want to look at our relationships and our relationships within the body of Christ itself. If you have your Bible, a hard copy of the Bible, turn to Ephesians 4. If you have your mobile device, you can find a Bible app or Google and go to the New Testament book of Ephesians written by the Apostle Paul. And I want us to see here that in our overly connected and deeply isolated world, people need to see the followers of Christ pursuing healthy, vibrant, others-oriented, Christ-centered community. Now notice, it just doesn't say it happens, but we're pursuing it. And our world needs to see the light of Christ shining through the church all around the world, through the church in in our nation, through the church in our country, in our state, in our region, and right down to the world around us is longing to see if the folks who call themselves a part of Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village, California, have genuine, authentic relationships and our light is brighter when we have true community. And I believe a lot of stuff has happened that has fractured relationships within our local body and the body of Christ in our community and around the world. And our world is hungry to see people who have genuine, real, vibrant, healthy, others-oriented, Christ-centered relationships. I want us to consider kind of two postures in our lives in terms of the relationships we have, the community we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ as a part of the family of God, the body of Christ. The first one is, if I'm to be in community with other followers of Jesus, I've got to bow myself down rather than build myself up. I've got to bow myself down rather than build myself up. And I want us to look at the first two verses of Ephesians 4 The Apostle Paul, who's in prison, writes, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What is that calling? Well, when we we understand we're a sinner, we put our faith in Jesus, he calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He calls us out of death into new life. And he says, I want you to walk worthy of that. I want to see that shine from you as the followers of Christ. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Do you sense the disposition, the spirit about which we're to approach one another? Do you see what Paul is saying there? I think, first of all, he's talking about the way I carry myself, my attitude, my demeanor, as I am in relationship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, be completely humble and gentle. The way I carry myself, when I bow myself down in the community of the believer's As I carry myself with humility, he says, be completely humble, not a speck of pride. Paul would say in Philippians 2, it's it's having other people on your mind, being others-oriented. That's humility. And oh, how we need humility in the church today, how we need humility in our world today. Secondly, he says, not only to be completely humble, but that word completely also describes gentle. We need to be completely gentle. We need to carry ourselves with gentleness, not harshness. Boy, there's been a lot of harshness shared between people in conversations about everything related to COVID and to government reactions to COVID, to politics, to all the things that have caused so much tension in our world in the last year. There have been some things said in the heat of the moment, in the frustration, in the isolation, the disagreement that have been pretty harsh. There have been postings online, there have been emails sent between believers, there's been words shared that are harsh, and that's not what we're called to be known for, our harshness, our fighting, our division, but we're to be gentle, gentle. So I'm to carry myself as I enter into community with you, and you're to carry yourself as you enter into community with me, with this humility, with this gentleness. Then there's the way we treat each other. The way we treat each other in the second part of, of verse 2 of Ephesians 4, uh, it says, be patient. Be patient. There are two words for patient in the New Testament. In the original Greek, we saw those two words at the end of our study of the book of James a few weeks ago. The one has the idea of, of surviving or, or bearing under pressure. The other has the idea of being patient over time it has to do with the time element not the the weight of the pressure but the amount of time and the one that's chosen here by Paul as he's talking to the church at Ephesus about how we relate to each other is we're to have a patience over time with each other the way I treat others should be with patience even if it takes a lot of time I think we want quick solutions and fast answers. And so sometimes we get into a Bible study, get into a prayer group, we get into a, a small group, we, we hang out with some Christians and, and it's not working for us in the first 20 minutes, the first hour, the first two sessions. And so we back out because it's messy. These people are odd. They, we have disagreements. But we're told to be patient with each other. Then he says, bearing with one another in love. Now this word love is, is used three times in the passage we're looking at today, and it's the idea of agape love, uh, others-oriented, sac- self-sacrificial love, thinking about the other person and their needs. And, and he, he says we're to bear with one another in love. That word bear means to exert energy. <laughs> means to put a lot of effort into it. We're to put effort into loving each other. Now, I've been a pastor for almost 30 years, and I've had the privilege of serving as a pastor in three different flocks, and um, I've learned a lot about sheep. I love shepherding. I love the sheep here at Calvary, uh, but I can tell you, and you know this about each other, and we know this about ourselves, we are sometimes not easy to love. <laughs> it's not always easy to love the sheep. It's not always easy to love our brothers and sisters in Christ because they have they have faults and failures. They have hiccups and problems just like we do. But Jesus told his disciples in the upper room the night before he was crucified by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Our love for one another, not our, our, our voice uh, of agreement on this issue or that issue or that or this. It's how we love each other that the world will say that's genuinely that place, those people, that group, that family of God, that church is genuinely made up of the followers of Jesus Christ because we can see how these people with disagreements and divisions and diversity, how they, they set all those things aside to love one another as they are. And if we're going to have genuine, authentic community like God calls us to have and the world needs to see in us as the followers of Jesus Christ, then we carry ourselves with humility and gentleness. We treat others with patience, even when it takes a lot of time, with love, even when it takes a lot of energy. Francis Chan, for whom some of you, some of you had him as your, your pastor for a time as he served in Simi Valley... He's written a book this last month that was released called Until Unity, and the phrase even comes out of uh, the passage we're looking at in verse 13, until unity. He's speaking about the unity of the body of Christ, and I enjoyed the book, and in there he makes this statement. In the church we divide easily because we love shallowly. One of my prayers, one of my desires for us as a local church, for the Church of Jesus Christ in America and all around the world is that as we go into a post-COVID world, we'll learn to love each other more deeply so when the things that that came into our lives in the course of the last year come and there's disagreement and and division, that we wouldn't lunge into those things, but our our, our depth of love would help us to stand firm together even when there are disagreements and divisions that we would still show love to one another. We're going to have community. We've got a bow ourselves down rather than build ourselves up in our arguments and our point of view. In the 12 plus years that I've served as Calvary senior pastor, I've enjoyed getting to know Carolyn Takeda. She was part-time on our team when I arrived. She now serves full-time uh, as a pastor of our small groups ministry. And if you know Carolyn's background, she'll explain it in just a moment in the testimony you hear from her, but um, she's had a longing to belong, to be in community. And I love talking to her about relationships in the body of Christ and why they're important because she's thought about it. She has a heart for it. God's wired her for that. And so we asked her some questions this week about community and relationships within the body of Christ. Uh, Watch this.
1: Hi my name is Carolyn Takeda and I'm the small groups pastor here at Calvary and my family has been here at Calvary for 20 years and we came when our second daughter um, Sarah was born. Um, That's how I can remember because she's now 20 years old. It has been a joy to see our children come to faith here and grow in the Lord. Um, And they're now both in college. And when I joined Staffed, which was 15 years ago, which seems like a really long time ago, um, but has gone by so fast, it has been such a privilege to see Calvary through all these different seasons for the last 15 years and see what God has done in and through the people here. So, when we came to Calvary, um, Calvary was already a big church. It was hard to relationships here and I just remember feeling like we're trying different things and it's just really hard to get connected and then I had stayed home for a while as a stay-home mom I practiced law before then I stayed home for a while and as our um, younger daughter was getting ready to start school I thought I would just go back to work and I had a meeting with a staff person here at, at church and I was complaining actually to her about how Calvi's so big it's hard to connect and I was saying you guys should do something about this and she said actually why don't you consider coming on staff and help helping us um, build community here. And I was like, no, I did not foresee that at all. Um, I never planned to be a pastor or planned to be in vocational ministry on staff. But it kind of stuck in my head. She said, think about it, pray about it. So I went home and I started reading the scriptures related to community um, in the New Testament. I started looking at oh, how does Jesus and his disciples relate to one another. I looked at the New Testament, the epistles, all those verses that we talk about around here, the one another verses. Um, I looked at all of those. Why is this so important? Why does it keep coming up over and over again that we are to love one another and what that looks like? And I started to get this deep conviction that uh, fellowship and being in the church together wasn't just about um, worshiping together, though that's really important, but that it was about this deep relationship that we have with each other. You know, we know we need each other to grow. The Bible tells us that. Our personal experience tells us that. Um, We are not designed for isolation. We are designed for community and relationship with God and with one another. You know, when Apostle Paul uses the imagery of the body of Christ, I mean, this is a really interesting metaphor because it's a really messy one. It's a very connected one. It's one that is really organic, but at the same time, it's a hard one. And when Jesus says that we need to love one another, and that's how people will know that we follow Him, it's not just love one another theoretically. It's like you actually have to do the action of loving one another. And so after I got convicted of the biblical basis for community, then I thought, okay, Lord, um, this is worth giving my life to. This is worth investing my talents, my gifts, and my time and energy into. The friendships we built here in our church body matter more in the sense that they help us grow to be more like Jesus. For me and for my husband, we're in a small group of um, newly empty nesters, meaning most of our kids are in college. Those friendships and that group has been so critical during this past year. Um, We've had a very active texting uh, group uh, where we not only um, share our prayer requests and the heavier stuff, but we also share our joys and we share funny things. We just kind of do life together, even when we weren't able to see each other. One of the core values we have around Calvary, especially among staff, but also in our congregation is something Pastor Sean um, says quite often, which is that as we grow big, we must grow small. We're not here just to run programs or events. As important and as good as those things are, we're here to to relate to one another in meaningful ways. We're here to um, find places and create spaces where people can be heard. I have a huge passion for belonging, and I think it comes from the fact that I moved around a lot as a child, maybe 12, 13 times um, since we immigrated when I was 7 years old here to the States. And so moving around a lot means that it was just hard to keep finding places to belong whether it was a new school, new church, new community. And I was kind of a shy kid, so it was even extra hard for me. But what it built in me was this deep longing for a place to belong. And we want our church to be a place where everyone has someone that they know, uh, where they feel known, where they feel cared for, where they can care for others, and where they can serve and be served. I am the small group pastor, so obviously that's really important to me, and that is a primary way we have here of building community and those relationships, but it happens all across our ministries. You see that with our early childhood, they have blanket time in smaller segments, our middle school, our high school, our young adults, they all have small groups where they have a leader that's shepherding them, that gets to know them, where they're facilitating and getting to know each other as peers and hopefully starting to disciple one another in our fresh market which is part of our outreach ministries, it has been a beautiful thing to see over the years when they uh, help people gather food on Tuesday mornings. Now, in the last few years, it's really been about the community together, where they would drive up, we put the food in their cars, but then we had to create a whole other space in the parking lot because people missed each other and they wanted a space where they could talk through their mess, pray for one another and laugh and just share each other's burdens. If you've ever spent any time with our special abilities ministry, any of the events we've had in the past, or even buddy breaks, there is so much joy among those volunteers. If you just peek in there, you'll just see the laughter and the joy in the community that that ministry has with one another. Through our discipleship classes, our women's men's Bible studies, our support groups, we have so many places where we've intentionally structured it. There's table time, meaning there's discussion time where you get to just talk with a handful of people and share your story and get to know each other. And the really cool thing about some of those is that afterwards, after the class is done or the support group's over, um, those have evolved to become small groups because they love the friendship that they've now built and the trust that they now have of one another. So it's just natural then to go into a small group and continue to disciple one another and care for each other in that way. I know in this past year... Uh, it's been really difficult to connect relationally with people. Whether it's in personal, whether it's through Zoom, whether it's texting, whether it's phone calls, whatever it is, I want us to not miss that God wants and expects us to be brothers and sisters in Christ together, which means that we are, have to be involved in one another's lives. As we come out of COVID, it's so important that we kick the habit of choosing isolation or choosing not to engage. Um, and instead that we step intentionally into doing those things, whether it's really small, whether it's just a simple text, or it's something bigger. Maybe you join a small group for the first time, you join a ministry team. Um, we figure out where you can engage safely. Maybe it's actually sharing something personal with someone that's standing near you or sitting near you or on the Zoom call with you. Part of growing in relationship with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ means that we choose not just to participate, but that we choose to invest ourselves in the relationships.
0: I love Carolyn's voice and heart. Uh, I love her voice in my life and the life of Our church together. If there was something in there you said, you know, maybe I I need to bow myself down and engage deeper in community, whether it's a Bible study, a small group, a ministry team, something you saw or heard there that the Lord just spoke to you about getting connected, you can go to calvarywestlake.org and you can check out all the different opportunities there. There's an area that says adults. We can check out marriage ministry, small groups, again, Bible studies, uh, discipleship groups, opportunities for you to get to know and pour yourself into other believers. That first posture for us is to bow ourselves down rather than build ourselves up. The second thing is that if I'm gonna enter into community with you and you with me, then I've gotta build others up rather than tear others down. There's been a lot of tearing down of brothers and sisters in Christ uh, across our globe as we've struggled to figure out all of the things that have caused so much tension in this last year in our world and our nation. It's important that we build each other up Ephesians uh, 4 and verse 3, I think really gives us a sense of what that looks like and what that means as we read these next few verses. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We want to keep that unity in that bond of peace. Verse 4 then says, there is one body, one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope when you were called. Verse 5 One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, let me just stop right now and say, when we talk about this community, as you saw in verses 4, 5, and 6, we're already one in the Lord. There is a oneness. We have one God. We have one spirit. We have one faith. We have one hope. We have one baptism. We are already one in the Lord and we are a family. If you know Christ as your Savior, you're a part of that family. But you can't really understand this kind of community or the depth of these kind of relationships, these redemptive relationships, until you're a part of that family, until you're a part of that community. And the only way to be a part of that community is to put your faith in God and to have your relationship with God restored through what Jesus did for you and dying for your sins at the cross and being buried and raised so that you could have new life. And when you put your faith in Christ and in him alone to be right with God, then you have community and communion and relationship with him, and you can have community with others. You can't even begin to understand these kinds of relationships or to experience the the community that we're to have as brothers and sisters in Christ until you come to Jesus. So I just want to encourage you to come to Christ. If if you're joining us online, you can uh, text the name Jesus to the number on the screen below me, and we'll have someone follow up with you. We'll have... Uh, you'll get a text back that will give you some resources, a video to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. We want to celebrate with you, want to answer any questions. Same is true for everyone in the room. You can text the name Jesus to the number on the screen. Also, if you're in the room, we'll have care team members down front after the service to pray with you. I'll be out on the patio with the by the sliding glass doors near the main parking lot. There are other pastors there. We can make sure that you know what it means to be a part of the family of God, to be included in this community of believers worldwide who are the followers of Jesus Christ. You know, the passage goes on in verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. It talks about how Jesus, when he died, he he was buried, and then he was raised, and he's now ascended to the Father. And in his resurrection power and his ascension power that he has, he has then equipped the church to be able to build up each other and to encourage each other. We read in verse 11 So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. He gave people to do what? Do the work of the ministry? No, to equip his people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up. That we build each other up, not tear each other down. Verse 13, how long do we do this? Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Our goal is to be like Jesus, to live and love like Jesus. Verse 14, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Verse 15, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. And verse 16 summarizes it all. From him, Christ, the whole body, the body of Christ, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. There are two themes that pop up in these verses from verse 3 through verse 16. The two themes are unity and maturity. And if we're going to build one another up, we have to pursue unity with each other. That's the first thing that I want us to explore here in these verses is that we build others up by pursuing unity with them. My my task is to pursue unity with other believers, to fight for unity among us. It's vitally important. God commands it. Our world needs it. And it is an evidence of God in us. Francis Chan, in, in his book, Until Unity, says, we have forgotten how our divisions affect God in an unbelieving world. Our casual, dismissive attitude toward unity is incredibly dangerous for three reasons. One, God is disgusted with it. Two, the world is confused by it. Three, it could be evidence that the Holy Spirit is not in us. There are four things about pursuing unity with others in the body of Christ. Number one, we're responsible for the effort, not the outcome. We're responsible for the effort, not the outcome. I've had people say, well, I could try, but I know that it won't this. Well, I know she's this way or he's that way. Notice in verse 3, it says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. We're all one in the Spirit. Let's keep that unity through the bond of peace. All of us who know Jesus have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and we're to make every effort to keep that unity. Our responsibility is to pursue unity, to fight for it, not to disagree and cause division. We're to make every effort and then trust God with the outcome. We, we know it takes two to tangle here. Someone may not respond appropriately, but we're to do what we're responsible to do. You know, When our kids were little, I remember they would have a disagreement and you'd call one in you know, and say, okay, you need to apologize to your sister, your brother. And then that one would go and you'd say, did you, did you apologize and ask them to forgive you for what you did? Well, I kind of walked by and said, sorry. Did they hear you? I don't know. And some of us are like that as adults in our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ where where we're not making every effort for unity. We're, We're sloughing it off. We're being immature and childish. We need to make every effort to pursue unity together. Secondly, we're to maintain what we have, not make something new. We already have unity. We're already one. Look at verses four through six. One body, one spirit, one hope, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. We are one. There is a togetherness. The fact is, positionally, if we know Christ, we are the family of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are the body of Christ. And now we're to live that out, not try to find other things about which we rally around and unite. We are united in Christ. My friend Johnny Erickson Tata puts it this way, believers are never told to become one. We're already one and are expected to act like it to lean in and and pursue that oneness together. Thirdly, we're going to pursue unity. We have to understand that we're seeking unity with all who follow Christ, not just some. We can't pick and choose and say, well, these people agree with me politically, so I wanna be in that small group. These people uh, agree with my perspective on COVID, and so I wanna be here. And and we're picking and choosing based on what we agree about and uniting around various things. No, and and then say, well, I don't wanna be with that person or that person because I can't stand their personality, I can't stand the differences. No, in the body of Christ, one of the beautiful things is that we're to lean in. We're to be one with everyone. Our, our desire and our pursuit, as it says in verse 13, is until we all reach unity. That's not until we all reach unity except for that odd character that I can't stand. Well, what part of all, don't we get? Chan says, it will always be easier to seek out the people whose interests and affiliations most closely resemble your own people, whose life experiences resonate with yours and inform your choices and passions in similar ways. It will always be easier to write off those with whom your personality or opinions clash. But there is something so beautiful and powerful about a group of incredibly diverse people uniting under a common banner. It shows the world that our common obsession with the worth of our king is more powerful than any social, political, cultural, or economic divide. It shows them a picture of heaven. Don't let your pride get in the way of that picture. We're to pursue unity with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ, not just some. And fourth and finally, we're to unite around Christ, not around everything or anything else. We're to unite around Christ, not around everything or anything else. Verse 13, it says, until we all come to unity in the faith, and where is that unity? In the knowledge, in in faith and knowledge of the Son of God. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. I had an old preacher once tell me, you want to know what a church is about? Ask the people in the community. They'll tell you what the church is about. If the church is just caught up in a good cause, and nothing wrong with a good cause, but it's not Jesus, the community will know that. If the church is caught up in politics and, and you know, our biblical positions do have political ramifications, but if it's all about politics or one party or one theme, the, the community will know that. And I can tell you that my heart and the heart of what the Apostle Paul is saying here and the heart of our leadership is at Calvary Community Church, we could be known by this politic or that politic or this, this or that, or that good cause or that social thing, but we are gonna be known as the followers of Jesus Christ, pursuing relationship together and moving forward in a post-COVID world, not with any other desire than to be known as the followers of Jesus Christ. And we can't let anything else become, or everything else become our identity. It's got to be about Jesus. That means we're going to have people of different political stripes, different ethnicities, different socioeconomic, different educational levels. We're going to have people that represent all people who are a part of the family of God in this community. And for some of us, it's very hard. Now, don't get me wrong. I have a lot of opinions and ideas, and thoughts, and I have to put all those aside to seek unity in the body of Christ, to make Christ known through our body together. We're to pursue unity. This quote is attributed to St. Augustine of the 4th century A.D., in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, in all things charity. We need to to be united on the main things, not all of the secondary things. We can't let the polarized world dictate to the church what's important to us. What's important to us is making Jesus Christ known to the world. And our community, our vibrancy, our being others-oriented and Christ-centered is what our world needs, or it's gonna drift into deeper loneliness and isolation. I love how Psalm 133.1 puts it, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Not that we agree on everything. We may have strong disagreements on all the secondary things, but our focus is on Jesus Christ and being united as his children in his family. We are the brothers and sisters of Jesus. Maybe there's someone you need to go to that you you were harsh and you weren't uh, you weren't loving toward them and you weren't seeking unity there's an email you sent a conversation you had maybe it was with your children or your grandchildren maybe it was with your small group or just one brother or one sister in Christ that you you know what it is and the holy Spirit's speaking to you about something you said 6 months ago 9 months ago last week to a brother or sister in Christ and you need to go back and apologize just don't pass by and whisper sorry rebuild and restore the relationship that is to be whole and united in the body of Christ. Let God move you to send that email, to send that text, to make that phone call, to have that lunch, to rebuild bridges that might have been torn apart because you weren't focused on the kind of unity God calls us to in the community of believers. We're to be pursuing unity with them. But secondly, we're to be pursuing maturity for them We're to be pursuing maturity for them. As we build up others, rather than tear them down, our goal is to see them mature and to be living and loving like Jesus in a mature, healthy way as a follower of Christ. You say, well, why is that my responsibility? Isn't that yours, Sean, as the pastor? Well, I have a certain responsibility in that, but we all have a responsibility to each other. You see, we're responsible for the spiritual growth of others, not just ourselves. We're responsible for the spiritual growth of others, not just ourselves. Look at what he says in verse 13. He says, until we all reach unity, and really the emphasis of this is also until we all become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We're to build each other up in Christ. I am responsible as a follower of Jesus Christ for my spiritual growth and walking with Christ and becoming like Jesus. But as a follower in Jesus Christ, not just as a pastor, but as a follower in Jesus Christ, I am responsible to pour myself into other brothers and sisters in Christ so that I have their best interest and their spiritual growth in mind. Is there anybody out there who could accuse you in the last year of building them up and having their spiritual growth at the heart and focus of your communication with them. Is there anybody who could accuse you of that? One day when we, we stand before the Lord, He's gonna to say to every one of us who are followers of Christ, Did you grow? Did you become like Jesus? Could they see Christ in you? And then He's gonna say, Did you seek the maturity of your brothers and sisters in Christ who are part of your church? your local church family? Were you pouring yourself into people so they'd grow and be mature? We're going to be held responsible, not just for our own growth, but our goal is to build up the body until all become mature in Jesus. You know, the New Testament's full of things that we're to be doing to help each other grow. Pray for one another, encourage one another, edify one another, exhort one another, uh, uh, exhort one another to good works. There's a whole list of them. We put them in the take note that goes along with the the take note as the outline of my message dates you can get on our website. But one page of that is a list of the one another's in the New Testament and how we're to love one another and build each other up and grow and thrive. Maybe you take that list and look for three or four of those and you say, okay, these are things I haven't been doing. I need to lean in in my small group, in my ministry team, in my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I need to engage with others in these things. We're all responsible for the spiritual growth of others, not just ourselves. Secondly, we're to speak the truth in love, not just speak the truth. We're to speak the truth in love, not just speak the truth. Verse 15, speaking the truth in love. Jesus was described by John as living a life that reflected God as he walked on earth, reflected God the Father because it was lived in the harmony of grace and truth. We're not to be truth people or love people. We're to be people who speak the truth in love. We need to be loving as we communicate. And then the other thing about this is this truth isn't any truth that's out there. If you look at verse 14, it's about people being tossed around by all kinds of bad doctrine, by, by individuals who have schemes and are trying to manipulate Christians. It's the idea that we're communicating the truth of God's word to each other to help each other grow in Christ. Over the last year, I've had people who will call me or email me and they'll send me research on this about vaccines or this about masks or this about that or this about this. And Believe me, I've heard it from all sides, and I have my own passions and desires to learn and and to seek input on this stuff, and I've developed my own opinions and things, but I do all I can to set those aside. But people say, aren't you supposed to be speaking the truth? Here's the truth about this. I'm not supposed to talk to you about any truth. I'm supposed to talk to you about God's word to grow you spiritually, And my mandate and our mandate together is that we share the truth of God's word. And until we have exhausted the entire word of God and we're living it completely and fully, we won't stop communicating the written, revealed word of God to one another in love. We can get off on all kinds of other truths and thoughts and themes and you say, but it's so important right now that everybody's gotta know this. Baloney, everybody who knows Christ first and foremost needs the word of God in their lives. And that's going to be the heartbeat of our communication. We'll speak the truth in love. Do those other things matter? Yeah. Do some of the political things matter? Yeah. Our biblical positions will have political ramifications, but we are not going to to just go into all those things that are polarizing our world and let Satan rip the church apart in the name of something good when we have what is best, the word of God, to communicate to one another in love. Thirdly, we're helping others become strong and stable, not weak and vulnerable. Verse 14 talks about being tossed all around and being deceived by others. As we seek the maturity of others to pour into others in small groups, in Bible studies, prayer groups, and ministry teams, in our communication, on social media, every possible way, we need to be helping each other get strong and stable, not allow each other to stay weak and vulnerable. Fourth and finally, when we're pursuing maturity, we're functioning as one body, not just existing as many parts. See, we're one body in Christ. We are one. That's who we are through the redemption that is ours in Jesus. We've all been given different gifts and experiences to pour into this church family and for our light to be bright in this community. Verse 16 says, For him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Oh, my friends, as we move into a post-COVID world, We need to not just be connected, we need more than connectedness. We need community as a part of the household of faith. We need to be bowing ourselves down to one another, approaching each other with humility and gentleness, treating each other with patience and love. We need to be building each other up, not tearing each other down. Pursuing unity, fighting for unity in Christ with all of our other disagreements, and there have been times in this last year I've, I've said some things to people I see at a, a store. They'll say something to me about all these other issues, and, and, and I'll just give my opinion real strongly, and I've emailed people, I've called people, I've gone back to see people and say, you know what, I don't know why I made such a big deal about that because that's not about our bond in Jesus. And I had to go back because... We need to be pursuing unity in Christ. It's all about Jesus. Satan wants us to make it all about other stuff and important stuff in our world. It's all about Jesus. And then it's all about us pursuing maturity together. Why? So that our world will see the body of Christ distinctly different than the rest of the world that's bickering and divided and, and shouting. They'll see people who genuinely love each other and genuinely seek to be together and build each other up. And when they see that, they'll see Christ. When they see Christ, they're going to want to know him. And then more people will come to Jesus. And one day when we're in heaven, we'll celebrate together when all of the divisions and all of the brokenness fall by the wayside, and we are forever one in him. And we want as many people to be with us in that journey as possible. And it's some of our... Backbiting and our division over secondary things that is distracting the world from the personal work of Jesus Christ. You know, redwoods grow very tall, 350 feet tall. They can grow for a thousand years or more. They're they're 25 stories tall, some of the redwoods. 25 stories tall. And yet, redwoods have some of the shallowest roots of any trees on the planet. The roots are only six to 12 feet deep. Then how do they stand when the winds are swirling and the storms are beating against them? Well, underneath, their roots get all intertwined with each other to the point that it's not one redwood standing against the storms and the winds. It's all of the redwoods interconnected, deeply interconnected, that stand And that's the imagery of the community of believers that Paul gives that Jesus called for is that we're intertwined to the point that all of us can stand strong in the winds and storms of life because we've got each other. We've got community. In our overly connected and isolated world, people are hungry and are longing to see the followers of Christ pursue healthy, vibrant, others-oriented, Christ-centered community. And we need that together as we move in to a post-COVID world. Let's commit ourselves to that. Lean in, build relationships, go to those you need to apologize, make amends, rebuild broken relationships. Let's do it for the honor and glory of the Lord together. Father, thank you for Jesus for his example of how he lived among his own disciples and then what he left them saying, the world's gonna know you're really my followers by the way you love each other, not by what you teach, not by with what you disagree with or agree with, but how you love each other. Father, you know my heart. I, I long for us to get deeper and more committed in the roots of who we are as a body of believers here in Westlake Village, where there are places of pride, harshness, lack of patience or love, may we confess that to you. Father, may we pursue unity and maturity together so the world will see a bright light shining for Jesus Christ through us wherever we go and through us as we gather on this campus. We want all of this for the honor and glory of God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.